0: What's up guys, hope you're having a great day. Today I'm talking with Jeffrey Winger. Jeff is one of the financial planners in our planning firm and has been on the show several times before, if you've listened to a lot of our past episodes, I'm sure you've heard him. So Jeff has taken a special interest in student loans of all things, and has been on top of a lot of these big changes that have been recently getting rolled out some of you have probably heard some of the news on this there's been some brand new repayment plans and changes to how pslf works and other forgiveness programs Um, and on top of all that they're of course going to start charging payments and interest again so with that starting to come back into play and with all these new big changes this really starts starts to pave the way for opportunities and potential for improvements and efficiency to be gained. But in order for that to happen, you got to have a plan. So we're going to be talking about what this might mean for you. Make sure you understand at least the basics of what's changing and how that's going to roll out. And I think Especially for those of you that have federal student loans, you know, there's a lot of potential for you to really gain some value from understanding what these are going to look like. So with that being said, let's jump into today's conversation. Welcome to Finance for Physicians, a show where we empower physicians like you to practice medicine the way you always dreamed you would. This podcast features doctors, physicians, and experts that share one main thing in common. We believe having control of our finances leads to having control of our lives. In a world where doctors' lives are often dictated by our needs to maximize income, pay back massive student loans, and buy homes, many of us give up reaching those goals. But It doesn't have to be this way. If you are ready to learn how financial wellness creates happier doctors and patients, then I'm your guy. I'm your host and financial expert, Daniel Wren. Let's get started. Lots of student loan stuff cooking. So I wanted to bring you in. It's been a little bit since you've come on, but I know Jeff is my guy with student loans. He kind of like enjoys this stuff, looks at it on the weekend level of knowledge with student loans. (laughs) So he's definitely in the know with student loans and they have been changing like crazy. And there's some new stuff, cooking, and also some of the big things ending that I wanted to talk through with Jeff today and make sure you guys were in the loop on some of these big changes coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah, you sure make me sound like a real pleasure to have at a party. The guy that reads student loans on the weekends, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's good to have. But scary that it's probably a little bit true. So yeah, you're right, though. There have been a lot of changes. I mean, in the last five years, but in the last year, just on its own, we've had a lot of changes, mostly in the good direction, as far Mm -hmm. as student loans go. A lot of the headlines tend to be negative ones, right? Like student loan cancellation blocked. I guess that depends on who you're cheering for there. But those are the ones we hear about. But there's bigger news, bigger changes really than than any of the things that get headlines, especially as it applies to our physician families and and those that are looking at you know paying on large amounts of debt and maybe even looking at some of the loan forgiveness options that are, are not as headline driven.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, these are much bigger changes. And I think I'm still hesitant to say this, but I think that there's going to be a little more certainty going <laughs> forward because there's been like there's been a ton of things changing, but it's been like everything's on hold kind of. So it almost feels like there's they've taken away all the urgency to do anything about anything related to student loans. It's just kind of like, well, I'm not paying any interest and I'm not making any payments, like things are kind of on hold and it's been like that forever it feels like. And so I think that's a little bit of a positive too is that it's hopefully going to create some certainty or clarification and allow us we're planners, of course. So we always want to have a plan and allow us to be able to start making some plans again around our student loans, which will, I think, help you guys as well. Just to start to have a little bit more certainty around like what things are going to shake out. And the real benefit is for a lot of you listening is the PSLF stuff. Like Jeff was saying too, like these one-time forgiveness things, they're, you know, okay, but like PSLF is is huge and that adds up to a lot. And, you know, more of you are able to qualify for that. That's a huge potential win. So there's a couple of those provisions too, that might impact a lot of you guys. So maybe Jeff, we could start with, I think the one most people have heard about the payments of course are going to resume, right? Like when's that happening? What's the details with
1: that? Well, yeah, you just mentioned that there hasn't been an Urgency to some of this for a while because there are these deadlines of when payments would kick back in and they just kept getting pushed back. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it is, I'm going to give it at 99% certainty, but that payments are resuming here and they will be resuming as of October. So the pause officially ends here at the end of August, which at the time of recording here is less than a month away. And then interest will start accruing again in September with payments, actually getting due dates and resuming in October. And so Mm -hmm. it is coming payments will resume and they should be kicking back in at whatever your previous payment level was, if you were on an income driven plan, or I guess any plan that you were on before the loan pause started. So, and then maybe you weren't even on a plan or had loans when the payment pause started. So, Yeah. um, That'll be something to keep an eye on as well. But it should resume right where they left off.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of considerations there just with that one change, I guess, or program ending. And so, for example, if you're one of those in the situation where you've been kind of like holding out on refinancing to a private loan, because why would you refinance something that has a 0% interest rate? I know a lot of people are in that camp. And so, if you're in that situation, seems like now's the time to start looking at seriously like pulling the trigger on refinance or at least comparing those interest rates again because september you know you're back interest paying world and then with income recertification and payments coming due again everybody's situation is going to be different so that's how it always is with these things but like i think for a whole lot of people like a big slice of the student loan Borrowers are going to be like better off, like sticking with their old default payment, which will kick back in. So your most recent payment that they have on record or your most recent income verification, that'll be what will kick back in. Like Jeff said, once his October payments start and for probably a large chunk of you guys, that's going to be great. And you kind of want to let those roll as long as you can and the longer the better but then you got to think about um, i guess there could be exceptions to that so that's why i say like it depends on the circumstances like some people might still want to recertify especially if circumstances have changed to where the payment could be lower so that's like an exception to that situation where you got to really look at your situation but generally speaking a lot of you guys are going to want to like go ahead and you know take that as long as you can And, but still you got to start to think about like, when is that next recertification as well? I mean, we should know that information already as well, right? Jeff, like when your next recertification should be.
1: Yes. So you you can certainly find that and it it, sometimes it's hard to dig in and find, but you can find it on studentaid.gov. You can get a, a file there and look for an IDR anniversary or your student loan servicer may also have this, but that's been a little more hit or miss. But the big picture is that right now, it is very likely that no one that we're talking to has to recertify income prior to the end of the year and likely some time well into 2024 at this point. Mm -hmm. If you had a payment date or a recertification date that was happening throughout the year, anytime beyond six months past the payment pause, it gets pushed out another year. So basically if uh, Daniel, if you had a July certification date. And it said it was July of 2023. That's now July of 2024. Mm. If you have a December certification date, December of 2023, that is also within six months after this pause ends. And so that would also then get pushed back a whole nother year. So,
0: so let me make sure I understand. So if it's within, if your current date is within six months of the pause or ending date of the pause, then it goes another year.
1: Right. So The effect of that is basically no one should have to recertify their payments again until 2024 at some point, possibly even a little bit later, but vast majority of 2024.
0: So if my repayment date was June of 2023, it's going to be June of 2024, right? Exactly. And if it was like November, 2023, it'll be November, 2024. But if it was like, let's see, March of 2023,
1: that could be in that borderline area where you're going to need to examine this a little bit more yeah. based on so final guidelines on, on this, but.
0: Yeah. So repayment plans, I think the takeaway for you guys listening is keep an eye on your repayment plan recertification date. That's going to be important to understand when your next income recertification date is because that's when they're going to require you to recertify there like i said there could be cases where you want to do it earlier than that but you want to know when that date is so that you can ideally you think about possible strategies because there's typically like been a while since we've had to do this because nothing's been happening with student loans but once we go back to the rules it's going to be like okay well let's think about how we want to file our taxes or do we want to try to do it as early as possible or wait to the last minute or do we want to do pre-tax retirement plans or like there's all kinds of strategy around maximizing PSLF or even long-term forgiveness to think about. So that's an important takeaway. So payments resume and clarify what your income or payment certification date is. That's an important takeaway. It's been so long you don't even remember what your payment was. It would probably be good to look at that for budgeting purposes because you want to kind of plan for that. I think a lot of people, I think we did a show on this of COVID forbearance lifestyle creep, (laughs) but I, a lot of the families we worked with and natural human nature would be that you'd get used to spending those payments. So you got to think about how are you going to start making them again too, right?
1: Right. I actually remember you doing that, that show, Daniel. And I remember the advice was to go ahead and save those payments along the way so that you're used to making that payment. And just in case anyone out there did not do that, or maybe you didn't listen to that episode. uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's a good time to go ahead and start to build that into your budget now. Yep. Now, if you're working with us, we can help
0: you with it. We're keeping an eye on it already. So, All right. So some of the big new developments. So maybe we can start with the new repayment plan that is out there.
1: Yeah, so that's a that's probably the biggest change to look at because it's going to have some trickle down effects into other options, other ideas here too. But uh, yeah, there is a brand new repayment plan that's been announced called the Save Plan or the Saving on a Valuable Education Plan. I like how the acronyms work there. We got Save. That's what it stands for. Yeah, so if you had a valuable education, you can now save on it. I don't know what they do for in on you know non valuable educations, but. <laughs>
0: Just kidding. We got to use a different acronym,
1: right? Well, I guess good news: the SAVE plan is an option that is available for all of our student loans. So the federal student loans, anyway. And so no matter what your education experience was, it's going to be available for on any loan. Loans. Yes, and it's actually a replacement, or you might even call it an improvement on the old revised pay as you earn plan, or repay, mm. or repay E, depending on how you how you like to say that. But yeah, it. In effect, it's taking what revised pay as you were and had in place and changing some of the numbers that are in there to calculate payments in a way that really is beneficial in most cases. And also allows for a little bit of strategy within the plan that wasn't there before. So I guess the key components there that when we're talking about how the payments calculated, the poverty level that's factored into it has been increased from 150 to 225%. If you didn't care about that part, what it effectively means is that payments are going to be lower on the save plan than they would have been on the equivalent revised pays you were in a repay plan. So, overall, that's generally a good move or good uh, direction there for the save plan. Is there a case where I want to keep?
0: Well, re, maybe to clarify, repayee is not going away technically repayee, for existing borrowers.
1: Repayee is morphing into the save plan. So, if you can, I
0: stay in repayee if I want to stay, stay in repayee.
1: No. So, repayee is just changing. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, if you're on repay, that's okay because this is better only improvement. On There's no repay.
0: downside to this versus repay,
1: right? So, okay, the poverty level they take into effect is higher, which means payments pay- are always lower, so payments are lower. The borrowers, so this doesn't apply as much to the med school debt, but undergraduate debt, you'd pay 5% of income on and graduate debt is 10%. So if you were doing mostly undergraduate, then the payment's lower as well. It used to be, it is just 10% of your income for current repay plans. And the downside there, though, is just like the current revised pays you were in plan, there's no limit to that income driven plan. Mm-hmm. So that 10% of income is, is 10% whether you, you know, earn 50,000, 500,000 or $5 million a year. So those payments never hit a limit, which is also true on revised pays you earn. So it's still not a detriment to that plan, but something we'll want to keep in mind in just a minute as we talk about the negative here.
0: Yeah. So repay is gone, will be gone and be turned into save. And there's only perks only benefits relative to repayee now right. when we start to compare to like payee there's some downsides that could be substantial because there's a cap on payE. like that cap for physicians if you are on PSLF or even long-term forgiveness payee has that cap based on your income you can't go above a certain threshold which if you have a really high income that's huge potentially how does that work for someone on payee?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So on Paye, it would be that you would never have to pay more than what you would normally have to pay to pay that loan off in 10 years. So that's the upper limit of your payment on some of the other plans that are out there. But revised pays you earn in this new save plan doesn't have that limit. So if you could pay off your loans for $5,000 a month in 10 years, Daniel, that would be the upper limit on pays you earn on income-based repayment, right? But on on the save plan or advise pays you earn that could go up to there's no limit so you could you could end up paying 10% on your income of a million dollars a year and now that payment is significantly higher than five thousand a month.
0: But can I stay in pay if I want to maintain that?
1: Yeah, so for now you can and if you are on pays you earn right now, which is the plan that allows you to cap that, you can stay on that plan. However new enrollment in that plan is going to go away less less than a year from now. So in July of next year, there's no more new borrowers, no more switching into pay as you earn. So that gives us a little bit of time oriented action.
0: If I'm like a super high income specialty and I'm in training early in training, and I don't know if I'm going to be PSLF or not, I would really be thinking about maybe I should. Try to get into this payee deal before that window closes? Because used to be that you always had that option, but you're going to lose that forever. Because if you did end up in a PSLF type job in a high paying specialty, that payee becomes super valuable. So that's an important kind of takeaway there. How does it work with all this interest that's built up in all these student loan accounts that's not yet accrued for all these changes, is there like a big, I mean, normally when you change repayment plans, there's a capitalization event where all the interest gets added back to the principal and it gets, they start charging on that. But do you know how they're going to handle that with all these changes?
1: Yeah. So in general right now, what they're looking at is a change in payment plans or like an administrative forbearance is not going to capitalize interest. It may not go away. But that is a small step in the right direction on those loans, not ballooning to be gigantic as you make changes all the time.
0: Yep. Okay. Are there other big provisions or considerations with save?
1: So I guess a couple of other kind of interesting ones are that the old repay plan that it's built on did not allow you to split your income. So let's Mm -hmm. say, you know, you couldn't file taxes separately. It always took everybody's income into account. And so that does present an opportunity now to file taxes separately and change how much income
0: so now everybody going for pslf is super complicated so
1: <laughs> everyone going for pslf
0: everyone is, going for pslf that's married to a spouse that earns income is super complicated
1: it it, it throws a, it throws another decision point into there right of, funny
0: how anytime these changes come about they're like Sold as simplification, but they t- seem to complicate things for a lot of people. That's just the nature. I mean, I consider that opportunity because we can be strategic and help you kind of like work around things. But it is much more complicated when you're cons- you have that added consideration of filing separately versus not.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because then you got to. Go with the filing cost. It really costs mm-hmm. more to file separate versus the savings potential. And yep. it gets really fun. That's and why it's a beautiful puzzle. And what if you're in a puzzle.
0: community property state and, you know, because taxes yeah. work differently if you file separately. And
1: if you're in a community property state, either get deep into the blogs on student loan planning out there. Or, or get pay someone. or talk to a consultant because there are so many opportunities there. Yes. To save money. If you're going for PSL. You can
0: hire Jeff and pay him. He will work you around all these (laughs) rules and and whatnot. And I mean, especially in that case, like you said, it's worthwhile to, I think, pay for advice. Okay, so that's the new save plan.
1: Yep. One other big benefit there is it eliminates 100% of any remaining interest. So if your payment's not covering the interest, it used to eliminate 50% of what you weren't paying on the Mm. repay plan. Now it's 100%. So- if you're not covering the interest.
0: You used to do that on subsidized loans for repay.
1: Yeah, there was uh, some nuance there, right? Where it was for several years on a certain yeah, it portion. Was, it would now it's 100%
0: it. on all the loans for indefinite.
1: Yeah, both subsidized and unsubsidized. It covers 100% of any remaining interest. So for those that we have here that maybe are going into this payment resumption, With a $0 payment or coming out of school or don't have your plan settled quite yet, coming, you know, finishing residency and maybe not quite sure what that first job looks like, or you're ready to get into that first job. This save plan is likely a good option unless you're expecting a huge jump in income when you want to go to that pay plan because you're you're basically getting an interest-free loan for another year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It used to be i mean we did this back in the day i guess it's been 10 years almost since i or even more than that since we were talking pslf with people but early on on that like the difference between rate repayee and payee it was all about this payment cap and the interest subsidy part of the repay equation basically and and they were it was probably skewed towards repayee like the majority of people probably should get with repayee in training but like maybe 25% would go with payee in training but now that's just swinging the pendulum further towards this repay slash save sort of route where I don't know the majority probably 80% or more 90% maybe of people in training should go with this plan over payee and I guess payee is going to go away anyway and this is going to be the only option
1: this will basically be the only option there'll be the yeah are the old options going to still there so they're <laughs> they all is. the synonym sounding things like the overall thing we have to have here is an income driven plan, IDR, but that's yeah. not a plan itself, right? So you've got income contingent repayment that's yeah. going away. Sounded a lot like an income driven, but it was income contingent, right? Income based repayment. The old version is gone, but the new version still remains. So that may still be an option to look at coming out of school or out of residency new if,
0: IBR is staying but
1: new income based repayment that's what, uh, and if you don't know what new is it's just yeah it's it's still available we'll put it that way it's a lot like pay as you earn for yeah. brand new borrowers So that has a limit of if you've made more than 60 payments on this new plan, you can't go back to it, but it'll still be available. So, But then for the vast majority, and and this is what we're seeing as we look at the loan balances, the payment options, the save plan is going to be the best option for, I would say, 80 to 85% of the individuals we've looked at so far, um, because it is generous and the payments are lower until you hit that cap. So.
0: Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Rent Financial Planning. With all these new changes and payments resuming that we're talking about today, student loans are really about to get a lot more complicated at the end of the day. Now, this added complexity should be a really good thing for you. But in order to capitalize on it, you really have to have a plan. So if you're not feeling great about doing this yourself and having that plan, putting it together, that's where we're here to help you. At Rin Financial Planning, we have a dedicated service designed specifically for helping you make your student loan plan. If you're interested in seeing what this might look like for you, make sure to click the link below to schedule a no-cost consult with one of our planners to talk about what this might look like for you. Make sure to tell them that you're interested in our student loan planning service and that you found us from the Finance for Physicians podcast. All right, let's get back to our show. Okay, so generally that, speaking, this is, this is a win.
1: Generally speaking, a win, unless you got a loan. I mean, low... you do have to make payments. Yes. But... Low balance for the loan or high income, very high income to that loan balance would be the two things to keep an eye on.
0: I guess it'll be easier to have $0, $0 payments in training, though. I, would, I bet that'll be more common as your payment, in air quotes, will be zero or low in training because your income is low because they're using a higher poverty threshold. We'll have to see. Okay, so that's a big change, generally for the better.
1: That's a big change. That's a technical change too. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot technical. of the other ones are a little bit easier to say, yeah, that, that matters to me. Mm-hmm. But there, are, there are a few other ones out there, right?
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So PSLF is also having some changes, like the way that you qualify. So full-time employment, I know there's some changes. Well, there's changes around... How they define your employer and then also what they consider full-time because you always have had to been full-time employed in order to qualify so let's talk about those big changes those can be these can be massive for some people
1: oh yeah if it applies to to the individual like these are, are game changers to some employment decisions that we see in some plans overall the, probably the easiest one is that the definition of full-time has been simplified And so now it is a straight number that says, if you are working 30 hours or more per week at a nonprofit or multiple, a combination of nonprofits that that add up to 30 hours a week, you are full-time in the eyes of PSLF.
0: And that is independent of like, say your employer says you're part-time or you, maybe you don't even get benefits. Right. Let's say you're a physician that's 0.6 and a full-time physician, one full-time equivalent is like... 80 hours a week. So (laughs) 0.6 is whatever that is, 60% of 80 hours, greater than 30, right? So Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it
1: was, yeah, previously it was like an hourly requirement if there was an absence of a clear definition from the employer. So, you know, some places would call 32 hours full-time, others were 36 or 40, or, you know, you're going on the FTE scale, right? It could be just 0.6 doesn't count, but 0.7 did. And so- Mm -hmm. Now this gives a definite definition of if my employer, if, and I send them a certification form and it says 30 hours a week and they sign off on that, that's going to count no matter what they call full-time or not.
0: Yeah. That's a win as well. That's making it more generous. I know there's a lot of physicians that are part-time in air quotes, but really they're full-time and then there's also a lot of you guys that are like on the window of Mm -hmm. full-time part-time and your employer maybe calls you part-time and that's been killing you for PSLF. So 30 hours is the line that is much more straightforward.
1: Much more straightforward. And yeah, it certainly helps out for anyone that's just looking to scale back or a spouse Mm -hmm. that's looking to scale back and still not take PSLF off the table completely.
0: Yep. Okay. So that's that's more straightforward. What about the other changes related to your employer? This is a this yeah, this is definitely a little bit more complicated, but it's, it's a big win too.
1: <laughs> this one is less straightforward, but still certainly a a help here. Um and that's that the definition of a PSLF qualifying employer has now been expanded where particularly in states like California or Texas, if you are employed by So if there's a state statute that says that you cannot be directly employed by the nonprofit, and that's very common with, for example, Kaiser Permanente docs over in in California would be a, a very common example. You can now go to the nonprofit level and get their contact and their Employer identification number to put in as your employer and get credit. Where you used to have to go to, if you went to Kaiser Permanente, for example, not a nonprofit, so it just wouldn't count. That's your employer. But if you're a Kaiser Permanente doc that works at uh, nonprofit hospital A, if you go to nonprofit hospital A that wasn't allowed to employ you directly, they can sign off on that employment. So it basically it expands that for certain certain individuals. So.
0: Yeah. And it has to be that your location, wherever you're at, has to have, it's designed for the setup where the law says you cannot be directly employed by a nonprofit hospital. And so they've created these like employer organization workarounds that are typically for-profit. In that sort of circumstance, you can go straight to the nonprofit and get them to sign off on your employer certification and therefore begin to qualify for PSLF. Exactly. I imagine there's going to be some confused employers... <laughs> You think so? Because they're going to be like, what are you
1: sending me? Yes. I, mean,
0: I don't know. I just imagine that.
1: Yeah, this is a, a brand new change effective as of July. And so there's not a whole lot of history here to draw on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you think that this applies to you, I'd be you know, communicating very proactively with the hospital or the nonprofit that basically your provider, your your employer is a contractor of find out who you should go to to certify that and then you can get that employment certified at the hospital level instead of your direct level like where you mm-hmm. who signs your paychecks, right?
0: Yeah. So first thing is you got to figure out if you're in an area where laws require you to be not employed by nonprofits. Second of all, if you're in one of those areas, go to the directly to the nonprofit, not to this organization you're working for, like Kaiser Permanente, you're going to the main Kaiser, like the nonprofit hospital division of Kaiser and not your physician employer for profit group. Um, and you're talking to them about like, who do I talk to to get signed off on this? And I imagine they'll be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I mean, in some cases I imagine they'll be like, what are you talking about? So it'll probably, if you're like the trailblazer, that's like doing this first, you'll probably have to be like educating them. I just can see that happening. So I wouldn't be surprised of that response, and then if I hear that response, I'm going to start sending them all these laws, and provisions, and student loan stuff. I'd be like, here's the stuff; it's right here, and then you'll have, you know, probably have to get them caught up to speed. But that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, probably the easiest thing to ref- reference is on studentaid.gov. They have a "What is a qualifying employer?" FAC? and in there, there's a, a drop down that kind of explains in a couple of paragraphs to at least get the conversation started. You know what's the worst case scenario? You could ask and 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 go down this road and hear no, right? But for for somebody that that it might apply to, I mean, this could be a game changer if you've been working for five years and now you're all of a sudden eligible for PSLF where you weren't before.
0: Yeah, that's big time. I mean, it's straightforward, but I imagine there'll be it'll take a little while to get this all sorted out. Is it just? That situation, nonprofit, like where you're not allowed to be employed by the nonprofit setup, up, or are there are other people that would potentially, wasn't there some changes around independent contractors?
1: Yeah. And it, it's basically the same, same issue at play, but okay. maybe you may be structured in a way that you're employed by a, what they call a contractor organization.
0: Like a team health?
1: Potentially, especially if you're in, again, i say Texas or California, you know, put yourself on red alert that this could apply to you. Other states, not not nearly, almost uh, no chance in most other states. And, but then it would also apply to if you're in the same situation where by state statute, you can't be employed by the nonprofit, but you're directly contracting with them and being paid 1099, or you, know, you have your own S Corp or something like that. That still could work out as long as you're being prohibited from that direct relationship by
0: state statute. So like a team health physician working for team health, or they're not working for team health. They're an intermittent contractor team health, but say they're working in a nonprofit hospital. Is that kind of in the gray or is that?
1: Yeah, that would come down to the state, whether it's, if it's set up that in way. California, and it's If it's set up that way, because you are not allowed to be directly employed, then that counts. Mm-hmm. If it's Part just. I
0: am curious about in that scenario is like, I know team health typically is not in existence to work around that rule like team health is designed to work nationally and independent and allow for physicians to be independent contractors whereas these physician kaiser example employment groups are designed to employ physicians because they can't work directly for the nonprofit. so i wonder how that works we might be getting into the weeds it needs to get shaken out still but
1: i'd say the worst case scenario is you go down this road and you ask the hospital and say, hey, is there somebody that can sign off on this? And they say, no, you dummy. That's not Mm. how the state works, right? Like, oh, okay, sorry. I'm not a student loan expert. Okay. But yeah, I think there's certainly gray areas that are going to be sorted out over time as well, which seems to be the case with any of these student loan changes that happen too.
0: Right. Okay, so California, Texas, for sure, if you're actually like physically working in a nonprofit hospital, but like you're not employed directly by a nonprofit this is something for can. sure it at least should be looking into and and kind of start starting to do a little homework on this and it could be a big potential benefit all right cool well um consolidation there's a small change here on consolidation this change should have happened a long time ago i think
1: <laughs> oh yeah but it has messed up a ton of people in the past and that is consolidating loans now is not going to reset your clock at zero payment so it used or to be bslf Right. Or even or the term amount. So, you know, it used to be consolidating out of your old direct loans or out of your old direct loans would say you had 50 payments, five year, you know, four years in the books. And you're like, I'll do a consolidation and get loan number six out of five, you know, put on there too. And then your 50 payments went to zero, no more payment progress. And it was devastating <laughs> to know yep. what that's happened to.
0: Yeah. But then they decided to give it back to them over COVID and, but then a lot of people, it, the, a lot of people, the worst situations was when that caused you to not get any PSLF benefit anymore and you refinanced funny. out. And then that's a sad, unfair situation. But, you know, that's how these go sometimes. But um, at least they're fixing that going forward, which is good news.
1: Yeah. So going and, forward, it'll be the weighted average of the payment history. So, you know, if you had three loans that had five. Oh, okay. 10 loans with a... It depends on the balance and the loans and they throw it It's just like they do with the interest rate. It's just like the interest rate where it gets averaged out with a weighted average. And so mm. you'd have a weighted average of that. So you wouldn't have the longest payment history, but it wouldn't be reset at zero either. So hmm.
0: I could see that becoming a problem.
1: That's still worth analyzing if you're in because that situation. You have a big
0: loan with a really long or a large amount of qualifying payments and then a really tiny loan with like one and you consolidate, I don't know how they do the weight. I guess it depends on how they do the weighted calculation. It is weighted based
1: on the balance. So it it would pull that small loan significantly further ahead than it would pull the big loans back. But if you don't want that to be you, if you don't even want to have to worry about that calculation, we still have this year an IDR account adjustment so that if you have these consolidated loans or anything before the end of the year, the longest payment history counts. So it kind of takes the combination of the two And throws it together. But that's a very time limited change.
0: You just need to do that before the end of the year, the end of the year. Okay. And that's important for if you're going for 20 or 25 year forgiveness, right?
1: It's important for 20 or 25. It also applies to PSLF
0: or PSLF. If you haven't, hopefully you've already done that. If you're going, well, either one, hopefully you've already done that where you've consolidated to get the longer of the repayment histories, qualifying payments. But yeah, you have until the end of the year to do that. That got extended, right? A couple of times.
1: So yes, that did get extended. It was originally set to be done here early this, it was in this this spring and it got pushed Mm -hmm. back to summer and then finally to the end of the year. So who
0: is that important for? If I'm listening to this and I, I mean, I know if you haven't consolidated, you know, maybe something to think about. Well, who is it? Who are some of the people that we should... I know FFEL loans is one.
1: So yes, there are are really kind of two major cases I can think of right now that you may want to get on that consolidation before the end of the year. And that would be one, if you have the old FFEL loans, the ones that were before the direct loan program was really in full swing or Perkins loans. And you want to get credit towards PSLF for long-term forgiveness. Those need to have a consolidation application Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, in place by the end of the year. And so that would get all of those loans eligible for PSLF versus, you know, direct loans being eligible FFEL loans, not. So that's one reason you might consolidate here by the end of the year. Another case, and this has been an interesting one, is with all the adjustments. And so I guess real quick, those adjustments were that basically any payment and under any plan, and even some forbearance and deferment periods are counting towards PSLF and long-term forgiveness. And so that's really added to the count that a lot of individuals have towards forgiveness. But if you have a loan that has a really long payment history, case study example would be one, a couple I can think of right now that has had been paying on their student loans since 1999, you know, on old income driven plans. And so they've got a lot of payment history there. They are now eligible for those loans to be forgiven under the 25 year payment Hmm. program, but they also are now at a point. So if you had loans that long, you know, they're as old as your kids, right? Maybe older, you may also have kids. So In this case, maybe you have kids and you've taken out plus loans for the kids. (laughs) You could consolidate those loans by the end of the year. And the loans that had the 20 or 23 years of history about ready to be forgiven, get applied to the history of those brand new loans.
0: That's ridiculous. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, certainly an unintended effect here. But (laughs) a use case where you want to get that history applied to Mm. other loans. And so that would be a case for consolidating. Yeah. One reason real quick, you might not wanna consolidate though, would be, you mentioned this right at the beginning, Daniel, is for a lot of the the individuals we're talking to, you don't want your payment to change in the next year. You wanna drag that out as long as possible and consolidating is going to force you to certify your income. So you're gonna get a higher payment likely than you would have back in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. So if it's only one payment difference, may or may not yeah, be worthwhile consulting. that can be
0: a big downside especially if you went into practice while COVID forbearance was happening and your most recent income certification was in training and your payments were low and then you want that thing to keep going as long as possible and then if you do this whole consolidation it's gonna that's a that's where we're getting into the complicated stuff you're gonna it really gets complicated but you 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 have to weigh the advantages of this potential consolidation and using this oldest payment versus the costs of having a higher
1: payment. But yeah, those are the two cases. If you've got old loans uh-huh. that wouldn't qualify for PSLF or any other tw- type of forgiveness, it may be worthwhile to look into it. And if you have really old and really new loans, also a, a good opportunity to look at it at least. So.
0: Yep. Okay, cool. That's a lot of change. Um, there's there's other stuff still though, right? Did we, <laughs> we We missed a couple.
1: Yeah, there are a few. I think Probably the most celebrated just quality of life change is that you can do your employer certification with DocuSign now. So if you go to studentaid.gov and put in your employer, as long as you have a contact to send it to, you can send it from DocuSign through (laughs) studentaid.gov. And you don't have to get the wedding signature. You don't have to take the picture of it. You don't have to go back and forth. It's completed and sent directly to the department of education then too. So
0: doesn't it just require an
1: email? Yeah. Just, you just need the email of whoever the contact is. I'd suggest letting that contact know you're sending the certification to, uh, or you could just
0: give it a try and see what happens.
1: <laughs> I don't know about you. If I get a random docu sign, I'm probably not. No. Just open mm-hmm. it. Yeah, definitely it. let them know. But, but it's, it's definitely cutting down on a lot of the rejections that we've had based on signatures or, hmm employment certification.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. That's uh, about time they updated to the we're in 2023 after all. DocuSign has been around for what? (laughs) 10 (laughs) years plus.
1: Yeah. So we've made it to about 2013 in student loan land.
0: Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, that's that's a bunch of stuff. Anything else we didn't hit on change-wise that's important or considerations?
1: I think those are the big changes to be mm-hmm. aware of. There's always going to be more and we'll be talking about them, I'm sure, as time goes on. I think yeah. action items though, You know what, what would you take away from this, Daniel?
0: I think knowing what your payment's going to be, dollar amount wise, budgeting for that, knowing when your next income recertification is going to be, trying to get a handle on when that's going to happen, and then planning for that, those are important for everyone right like
1: yeah so knowing yeah. what you're going to pay and how long you have to pay it are probably the, the two things that you can just mm-hmm. get a handle on right now and and be planning around yep and then just those time limited items of consolidating if it makes sense so if you've got those old loans or they're mismatched by years and you need that payment history or just to make them eligible dive take a deeper look at that and and consolidate those by the end of the year if it makes sense for you so.
0: yep and then if you're for everybody, maybe you're in one of those exception categories, you got to look more at your circumstances, but like maybe some of these other things we've mentioned might make sense. And that's when you got to like dig in to your circumstances. And I mean, like if you're in California or Texas working for a staffing contracted company for the nonprofit, or if you're in the window of part-time versus full-time, or if you're on repayee or payee and, you know, looking at this save plan, those are, you know, very much situational tax filing jointly versus separately very much situational and it's worth you know if you work with us definitely we're looking at it for you already but keep us in the loop as you hear more information and we'll be covering stuff as it comes out jeff will be sending me text messages over the weekend about what he read (laughs) in the latest student loan developments but hopefully they're the change this is there's been a lot of changes but hopefully this is kind of the end of the big wave of changes
1: I would imagine this is the end of a big wave of changes.
0: As long as I've been working in student loans there has been consistent changes. That's been the only consistency.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to open up any can of worms, but I do think that the way that this most recent change has come about could then open the door for more changes to be done in the future. So
0: <laughs> we'll find out more just thrown out a little bit prediction more changes to come we'll see how that shakes out
1: that and it could be changing with every every election and administration going forward yes but yeah. as of now all changes that we've had are generally positive and so it, that's been a, a great thing in the last couple of years
0: yep all right well it's been fun talking to loans with you and um appreciate you coming on
1: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for getting into my my guilty pleasure of a student loan informational niche here.
0: You've been listening to Finance for Physicians. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast player. On this show, we believe that when you prioritize your finances, you take better care of yourself, have more fulfilling relationships with your families, and most importantly, provide higher quality care for your patients. If you feel this way too and want to learn more, then make sure to join our community. Follow the Finance for Physicians Facebook group for bonus content and sneak peeks on next week's episode. Thanks for listening.